Greetings, friends. This is Captain American himself, Stone Huntington. Come on down to American stores for all of your Independence Day needs. Patriotic napkins. Patriotic coonskin flags. Patriotic koozies. Patriotic chicken feed. Patriotic bandanas. Patriotic coonskin flags. And loads and loads of fireworks. Illegal in over 50 states. And loads and loads of slipping sides that ought to be illegal. Also available in coonskin. Come down to American. Because, because there's nothing American. You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies. Hooray! All right. All right. <laughs> and you can, of course, hear the rumble of the car in the background. Once again, myself, Nathan Albers, and your humble and obedient host, Agent Provocateur, and Pastor Jacob Menzel. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing okay, Nathan. I have decided to keep my blood pressure low by sitting in the back seat with you this go around. <laughs> Once again, we are being chauffeured to the movie by our chauffeur, Benny S. himself. How you doing, Mr. Sulzer? Good, Nathan. Keep my good. Nose oh, I didn't Harry see that Potter. car there. Oh, sorry about that, guys. Uh, <laughs> going to keep breathing here. Hey, Potter. <laughs> I, think, I think I need to go a little faster. Uh, that helps me concentrate. You remember, is the key thing to getting really anywhere in Sanityville, but specifically to the movie theater in this case, is it's right past the house with the chickens. Yeah, Yellow house yeah, with the chickens. That just doesn't seem very helpful to There's me anymore. trim. There's only... I've only ever seen the one house with the chickens. I don't know. I just find that the faster I go, the sooner I get there. If I'm going to get lost, I get lost faster, you know? It's just better. So... Just going to keep reading. Okay. It's going to be okay, Jake. Yeah. Oh, I went this way before. We'll there when we get there. <laughs> reading my book. There's more than one showing. Today, tonight... It'd be nice. Yeah. Well, maybe we should tell the people what movie we're seeing, guys. Can't they? Can't they guess? Mm-hmm. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Why would we see that? Ugh, no. Probably yeah. they can't guess from the title of the episode. They don't look at the title. It just downloads into their thingamabobber and they listen to it. That's right. And it doesn't display on their phone. Doesn't display on their phone or their, their cars, car thing yeah. or anything like that. Right. That's not how technology works. Uh huh. Well, let's tell them. Incredibles two. Incredibles two. Incredibles 2. I, too. Brilliant. I love superheroes. Dazzling. Suit up. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? Eye-popping. Wow. Excited to see this movie, I think. I'm a believer. I've talked myself into being hopeful. Yeah, me too. Well, guys, let me set this up for us as our resident movie expert. Uh, what I would suggest people do maybe is go back and listen to an early kind of season one of Sanity episode, which was about Brad Bird. You can listen to us talk at length about our feelings about Brad Bird. We did a little episode about The Iron Giant, one of our favorite children's movies, I dare say. Fantastic uh, movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, really, really great movie. The farther you get away from it and forget how... They use the Lord's name in vain. They take the Lord's name in vain, the better it, it gets and the more likely you are to show it to your kids at some point. Right. Right. And then you'll be yeah. like, oh. Then you're like, oh, crap. It's oh, darn. really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's really stupid. But it is a really great movie, and it is directed by the great Brad Bird himself. What we talked about a lot in that episode, and the thing that I'll reiterate here, is that Brad Bird is an incredibly inventive visual director. He's the kind of director that is creating art, if I may use the term art. He's creating the kind of art that can only be done 
in the movies. He's not making something that, that could just as easily be done in the novel form or on the stage or uh, through music or through drawings, any kind of art form that you might mention. The stories that he tells are uniquely suited to film. It's the way that he's cutting. It's the shots that he's choosing. It's the way that he's moving the camera. He's very influenced by things like Looney Tunes and early Disney and the great animators who learned to... I mean, animation itself is a medium that you know, it really doesn't have any parallel anywhere else. You know, a movie can be quite a bit like a stage play, but an animated movie is just an animated movie. Um, anything can happen. Anything can mm-hmm. happen. Birds can help you clean a house while you whistle. Yes. Other things like that. And Brad Bird is someone who takes advantage of that. And all you have to do if you want to understand this is watch a bad comparison. Watch Shark Tale. Watch some cynical DreamWorks thing. And you'll notice that a lot of it is shot or animated. I don't know. I don't even know Shark Tale. But the point is, if you watch a bad animated movie, it'll be chopped together a lot like how a normal movie is. It won't take advantage of the freedom that they can do anything. They can put the camera anywhere. It'll just be like an over-the-shoulder shot of the person and then another over-the-shoulder of the shot of the person talking to the person, which is something that you can, you know, that sitcoms do. Brad Bird is going to do very clever things visually. Classic example that Jake likes to bring up, I'll, I'll let you, Jake tell you about it from the Iron Giant. The dad thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My fi- one of my favorite moments in that whole movie is that you've got Hogarth. He's a kid with a single mom and you don't ever get the story. You don't ever get any exposition about it. And then you have this scene where Hogarth needs to go and warn the giants or something like that. The evil government guy is going to sit there and watch him. And so Hogarth puts on this helmet, this Mm -hmm. like pilot's helmet or something like that. And at first you think he's just going to be, you know, it's part of his like mask to be tough and Mm -hmm. whatever. And then you get this little shot of the alarm clock where we're going to get a little bit of time lapse and see time go by. And then just right there next to the alarm clock is a picture of of a man climbing into a plane with the same helmet. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, if you're paying attention to the little detail, this whole backstory, boom, it's right there in front of your face. Hogarth's dad is a is a heroic pilot who probably died in the war mm-hmm. and the helmet is probably all that Hogarth has left of him. And so all this meaning comes into this scene. All this meaning comes into Hogarth and his friendship with the giant, the iron giant who can fly and who's a hero and this helmet that he carries around. And it's just there in this one little look that's actually about the time lapse that's happening. Mm-hmm. That, In that sense, Bird's just a master of communicating emotionally and on a deep, deep level just through little visual details and and taking advantage of the way that only film can do that you you imagine for example a novel you might get all that information in but you'd have to say it it was now four o'clock hogarth glanced at the at the the clock on the end table and just beside the clock was a picture you know you'd have to describe it or and that would be pretty clunky what you'd probably do is you'd write the backstory in somewhere or you'd put it in yeah or you'd give an ex you know a scene between where mom has to explain something to somebody there's a million ways you could do it and there's ways that a novel could do it really powerfully and beautifully and i'm not saying anything about you know, it's not like a novel would be inherently clunky in communicating that information. It's just that a lot of filmmakers would do it the same way that a novel would do it. They'd have somebody talk about it. Or the way They'd, a stage play would or do the it. Way because stage, you can't see that kind of detail on a stage play. Right. But it's, it's, it's only in a movie where you can literally be telling people that the t- that there's a time lapse. You're setting up the suspense of what the agent guy's up to. You're doing five or six things in that one pan and you're communicating a whole backstory and it's really beautiful and it's something that movies are uniquely well-suited to do. 
And Brad Bird's a master of taking advantage of those kinds of things. The point we made about The Iron Giant was that it's basically could function as a silent movie. You turn the sound off. I, I, I would love to do this. Hey, it would cut down on the blasphemies. You turn the sound off. I bet you that it tracks. I bet you it completely tracks because there's mm-hmm. things like there's super, the, the dialogue is basically superfluous. You know, there's parts where the Iron Giant's like, I must be peaceful or whatever. But then you just see him. He has to make a choice between he sees a picture of Superman and he sees a picture of Atamo, uh, Atamo or whatever. And it's like it's all communicated visually. And the more inventive a director can be with those kinds of things. So, OK, Brad Bird went ahead because he was doing something else and he showed time lapse by simply showing a clock. If you see a movie generally speaking where you cut to a clock and then we cut to the clock and it's later it's like that's the easiest way of showing that time's lapsed i like it when filmmakers find someone's taking a test for example instead of showing that an hour's passed by cutting to the clock let's start out by showing someone their pencil is full fade out fade in and their pencil is just a nub so there's just fun ways that movies can work and communicate information and and, you know people might be thinking well stage play could do such yeah 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 sure Uh, every medium is going to have some bleed over my point is movies are uniquely suited to do certain things well and really gifted directors know that they're working with they know all the tools that they're working with and they use them to their full advantage yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that's the primary thing that i'm looking forward to in this brad bird movie studio is pixar of course the great pixar I really liked Coco, guys. I just watched Coco, and I really liked it. I haven't seen it. But I haven't seen it we either. Need, I'd, I'd love to talk about that sometime or find some excuse to talk about that because it's got some weird things. It's about the Day of the Dead and everything, but, man, it also has some real tear-jerky moments. I don't know that there's much to say about the cast in this movie. It's got Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter. You get your Bob Odenkirk in there, and, you know, they're providing voices. What I like is that it's not A-list stars. I guess I'll say that about the cast. I hate animated... Samuel L. Jackson, maybe. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson would be the exception, so I guess it's not 100% across the board but he works really well for Frozone he's his voice is perfect Samuel L. Jackson has a great voice and so why not use it for animation what I don't like is when you get someone like it's Johnny Depp as the guy in the corpse bride and it's like Johnny Depp doesn't have a great voice. He's got a lot of great things that you can like about Johnny Depp if you're a Johnny Depp fan, and I don't have a problem with that, but why hire him for his voice? So what's nice about Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter is that they're not the most A-list stars, but they are the perfect voices. I mean, who Mm -hmm. else would you imagine for Elastigirl in particular? What a great mom voice. Mm -hmm. So that's the cast. Yeah, this movie is coming out 14 years after the first Incredibles. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. It's important to remember that the first Incredibles hit before any of the Marvel stuff. We just celebrated the 10th anniversary of Marvel, before most of the Batman resurgence, before superheroes had really retaken the pop culture. So this movie is coming, and we have not seen this with the movie, folks. We're on the way uh, right now, so we don't know how it's going to play now. Um, But it's interesting to think that this movie is hitting now in a completely different pop culture landscape, and one that's completely saturated by the kinds of stuff that felt so fresh when the Incredibles did it. Mm-hmm. For me, that doesn't matter as much because I didn't see the Incredibles. For whatever reason, I missed it initial in its initial run. I didn't see it until a couple of years ago, so I, really? we, were, we were midway through superheroes. Oh, wow. Um, huh. But, uh, yeah, I just... It was the one Pixar movie that I somehow... There's there's two movies in my life that have been like that, and the other one I still haven't caught up with, and that's Avatar. I just did not see Avatar. Oh, my goodness. And I, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. I'm not even qualified to be able to talk about movies, I don't yeah, think. Not really. No kidding. Uh, the the G- Avatar. The James Cameron's masterpiece. I did see The Last Airbender, the Avatar. Uh, that's a different Avatar. M. Night Shyamalan's masterpiece. Right. So, yeah, anything else you guys uh, need to know before we get? Or I think we just... Was that the house with the chickens? Oh, Must have been. boy. I wouldn't know him. Ah. Nose is still buried in my book here. Yeah. I, I think that was it. 
but like I said, there's chickens in more than one house, so you sometimes people need to be more specific. I think there's only chickens in the one house. I see chickens everywhere. <gasps> All right, guys, we're in the concession stand. Oh, man. So why are we watching this movie? I like to ask this question while we wait for Ben to get his... What are you getting? Uh, goobers. Goobers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll tell you why I, I wanted to watch this film. Yeah. Uh, one, I think Brad Bird's super cool. Yeah, and, he's a great visual storyteller. And so I can't imagine this movie not being fun. I, we've all said in various places and certainly to each other that we're apprehensive about this one. It certainly looks like a setup for some gross feminist whatever. And I'm still pretty apprehensive about that. And I think this movie might suck. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to find out. And I am going to have faith that what we, what we got is a false flag and we got Brad Bird playing on the... What we really need is a feminist superhero mm. and what he's going to come through with is dad and the kids are going to have to save the day because mama's out doing her thing. And What we really need is an Ayn Randian so. superhero because that's what Brad Bird does. That's kind of what he, what he does. <laughs> <laughs> In our Iron Giant episode, we, we also talked about some of my and maybe these fellas as well discomfort with the philosophy of Brad Bird, which is a little bit always just weird and i didn't say ayn rand then but i think maybe putting it in randian terms actually does help because it's like it's got that kind of i'm special and you're not feeling which was refreshing in the first incredible yeah it was Mm -hmm. awesome but there's also just always kind of feels like there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about it. So, But what was great about The Incredibles is that it came along and it, everybody was really feeling uh, oppressed by the political correctness. Of, mm-hmm. And then he, you know, gave us, if everybody's special, nobody's special. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was just like really refreshing. And everybody who is not special walked out of that theater thinking, I'm special. Right. Um, That's where it breaks down a little bit for me is that nobody walks out of the movie and thinks, ah, gee, I'm not special. They think, ah, this is great. I'm going to go live my dream. And (laughs) I would never be the guy that gets sucked into a (laughs) propeller. That's just, that's just the jerks that are trying to hold me down. What I, what I'm going (laughs) to, what I'm holding out hope for is that now we're in a, we've got a new zeitgeist Mm -hmm. and everybody's feeling oppressed by the, we need to stick our feminist heroes forward. And Brad Bird's going to take his little pen and try to pop that balloon and it won't be uh dad needs to come save the day but it is going to be a more whole family working together kind of ending just like dad can't do it alone mom can't do it alone kind of kind of thing but i'm hopeful it's going to have a more wholesome vibe to it than that and dad's going to end up being pretty heroic and i don't know it had to get past disney and their their yeah feminist machine i hope you're right i mean you're absolutely yeah. right it's it not just going to be it's not just going to be patriarchal obviously but will it play with these things in an interesting and mature enough way that we won't feel cheated and cheap and slimy but that's what that's what bird is that's what he's great at yeah, yeah that's I, what he's yeah. known for yeah i, I agree and so that's where i'm uh, my money's on that my money's on being able to enjoy this movie and come away and it, it actually being something that i'm gonna be okay with my kids seeing. that's what i was gonna ask is yeah. is is um and you're making a face as we stand here in the concessions line well because um, i still do have my doubts about that yeah, yeah yeah maybe it'll be something that would be the best. That would be really cool if it was something that you did not feel was inculcating your kid with bad value. sexual grammar. Bad yeah. sexual grammar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ben? Yeah. Oh. Well. Your thoughts. Oh. I have some of ben, those. Go ahead. Thoughts. Now's the time that I want to share with you. All right. I'm going to ask you about your thoughts. As a matter of fact, I just <laughs> in did. this line here. Okay. It's in uh, the 90s. On was like 95 percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Yeah. So, Already, so that's a, that's yeah. That's oh. another reason to to see it is that. It's really popular and... Eh, okay. Uh, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes can be helpful. People will be talking about it's it. It's often helpful. Mm-hmm. 
So was way. the Last Jedi. Oh boy, critics well, loved we felt it. Need to talk about it, didn't we? Mm, we no, I'm Man. saying we should talk about it. But whether that yeah. indi- whether, whether that supports Jake's theory that the movie's going to actually rock and yeah, is oh, sure. that wasn't my theory that it was going to rock. It was my theory that it's worth talking about because it's on this show. This but you are going to go ahead and stake your claim. I'm I'm, I'm planting my hope, very hopeful flag out. The movie basically isn't gonna going to, to be a, a horrible I'm, propaganda. We're basically, not I'm walking it. into it, setting myself up for massive disappointment, as opposed to Solo, where I walked into it, mm-hmm. and uh, anything that wasn't the most stupid thing ever was going to be a pleasant surprise to me. Right. And I'm <laughs> yeah. being cynical and grumpy and hoping that the movie will basically be a pleasant surprise to me, but... We'll see. I'd love I'd love for it to be actually good. I'm a believer. I'm hopeful. Here I come. I'm hopeful. I like Brad Bird a lot. I still haven't seen uh, Tomorrowland. It's the only one I haven't seen. Me neither. And uh, I think I will watch it someday. Sure. But um, yeah, yeah, he is a great visual storyteller. His stuff has always been worth watching. It's I, I like remembering that uh, the first Incredibles movie didn't have a good trailer campaign. I was not impressed or very interested because of the movie's trailers. I just saw it and I thought, oh, this movie's awesome, even though the trailers made it look kind of mediocre. So I don't think this, this movie has a good trailer campaign either. Well, the so nice that, thing about Pixar, not, okay. I love Pixar's confidence that I almost never like their trailers because usually it's just like, yeah, here's a two-minute little true. funny sequence from the movie or something. We're not actually going to tell you much about it. We're just Pixar, so you're going to come see it and we really don't have to sell it, which I like. Um, it I don't, sure. carries over that Disney confidence. Yeah, I don't actually end up liking the trailers very much in and of themselves, right. but in, just in terms of the fact that they're just like, you're going to see it anyway, and so don't bother about the trailer. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Better, better than having a really awesome trailer stuck in your brain for years and a mediocre movie you're just trying to forget, mm-hmm. So, which has happened with a number of movies. I can't think of any examples of that. Well, okay, guys, any other thoughts before Ben gets his scoobers here? Um, So Jake's hopeful and maybe so the classic thing here would folks would be we'll come out of the movie. Jake's depressed and broken up. And and I'm kind of like, "Eh, I say I hate this. And Ben and and Nathan's like, oh, yeah, it It was was actually pretty great. But I liked it. Okay. And then we have a fight in the parking lot and Ben's over there. Ben just doesn't like it (laughs) for dumb reasons. Yeah. For dumb dumb reasons. (laughs) (laughs) He is unable to defend. And then Nathan and I have to process through and figure out. Right. Yep. And then it turns out that I maybe liked it a little bit less than I'm acting like. And Jake liked it a little little less. less. And this is basically what happened on Avengers. I'm not sure that it all happened on Mike, but in fact, I know most of it didn't. But yeah, goobers for a goober, Mr. Q (laughs) Solcer. Not meaning any events, of course. Uh, I'm... I'm I'm Benjamin J. Solster. I think my doppelgangers visited here lately. Maybe. Oh, oh, I'm oh, I'm sorry. I should have known because you're hanging out with Pastor Mensel and Mr. Alberson. Mr. Q. Solster's always here by himself. I guess that should have been a tip-off. I'll, I'll try to be more careful. Looks like you trimmed your beard too. Mr. Q. Solster never does that. Yeah, he's not. He's a little sloppy. Uh, but thanks, Mr. Ollie. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going into the movie. We'll be out in a little bit. In the meantime, why don't we check in for a hot take with our friends, who I believe have already seen it, from the Popcorn Coalition. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Popcorn Coalition, coming at you from the First Church of Sanityville. I, of course, am Pastor Kevin. Over there, we've got Pastor Evan. How you doing, Pastor Evan? Too blessed to be depressed, man. Yeah. And the one and only Pastor Stu here. Youth pastor. 
I am so happy to hear a platitude of gratitude from you guys. It just makes my day that much brighter. Yep. Well, and, and I see that you have your platypus of That's gratitude. That's right. He makes my day just a little cheerier. We just saw Incredibles 2. Wow. It was just incredible. Wow. Oh, Stu, I see what you did there. <laughs> May I say, oh, look, that is... My platypus I is wish, smiling. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> well, guys, let's talk about the themes of the movie. Oh, my goodness. Where uh, to start? Where to start? I don't start? know where to start. Uh, I was very overwhelmed emotionally by this movie. Oh, and, for sure. Uh, I really sympathize with Mr. Incredible and the emotions that he was going through early on in that in that show. And I was recognizing my own selfishness, his selfish desire to be first instead of to be a servant leader. Not to jump too far ahead too quickly, but it turns out that in the new math of The, Incred- <laughs> of the Incredibles 2, being last is being first. It's redemptive math. Yeah, that was. Rede- that's what, isn't that what redemption of for? Yeah. Math. Yeah, Incredibles 2 yeah. basically could have been called Redemptive Math. I don't know why they didn't call it that. Probably because they were just calling it Incredibles 2 after the first one. Brad Bird, he's such a genius. He really gets at the heart of what makes a man a man and a woman a woman, a mom a mom and a dad a dad. Mr. Incredible, he's strong, but he's got to subordinate right. that strength. And, and what is that subordination? Right. Family. I'm just going to throw this right. out there. What is that subordination if not a redemptive sacrifice? That's but what he was doing. It's it was a leadership. sacrifice that was redeeming was, his family. Right. And mom, she has to make the sacrifice of being awesome out in public. Well, well, Pastor Evan, I, you know, when you set women Women generally free to have their share of the spotlight, they will be able to stretch and adapt and take on all the responsibility they need to. Right. And meanwhile, right. Dad is, is fighting the desire right. to go out, punch things. A, well, a thing. but instead, yeah. he's exhibiting true manliness right. by sacrificing for his wife and well, his family and doing I think, the right I think thing. What, well, it, it, what, thank you, Stu. Thank you, Evan. And keep going. I'm not. I mean, thank you. I just. I just to can't stop get it. over how rich and complex a tapestry, a tapestry that that's Brad the Bird that's has right. woven together right. here yeah. for us. The bird that Noah released. One of the top birds in history. Brad Bird got to be in the top three birds. Top three. Totally top three. Ever. 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 Yeah. Definitely. That's right. Well, I love the way he portrayed how feminine virtue stops the runaway train of toxic masculinity. Well, there's one thing we haven't touched on yet, pastors, and that is. How do the evil glasses of hypnotic vision represent our sin nature? We're all wearing them, wearing them right? But you yeah. can't do that, fellas. No, you got to no. really engage. You got to engage the culture in a deep and discerning That's what way. this show is all about, engaging the culture in a redemptively, sacrificially servant leadership, passionate, authentic way. That's right, and that's what removes those glasses of corrupting vision. Yeah, it's the fist of authenticity. Striking a blow to the head of the serpent. It's a fist of humble love. Mm -hmm. Moral of the story, do not give in to comfort and ease and taking the easy way out, especially when it comes to engaging with the media. Yeah, maybe it's time for both genders to be a little bit more elastic. Oh, Kevin, you did it again. That's why you are the senior pastor yeah. of First Church. That's Canada, why. You know? Well, guys, I want to thank super, you for... Super job. I want to thank you for, for talking this movie through with me. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to us talk this movie through. Oh, and yes. Until next time, this is the Popcorn Coalition just saying, we hope your movie watching experience gets butter and butter. 
All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you again to our friends from the Popcorn Coalition. I haven't heard the segment yet, but I trust, as always, that they have a they have a good point of view on the film. Some helpful stuff, I'm sure, in that segment. Uh, here we are in the parking lot of the palace. So, what did everybody think about the movie? Ben, you can go first. What did you, you think about this film? Well, Nathan, it was fun. It was fun. I liked watching it. And then the more I the more I thought about it, hey, but really, I was starting to think about it even in the movie while I watched it. I was like. Ah, this is kind of a letdown. Yeah, I, I felt some, I had some similar feelings and we'll get a little bit more into that. I, I will say walking out of the theater, I felt a palpable sense of being let down, but I did also basically enjoy myself. This is a very high quality movie, certainly not even comparable to Solo, which is a piece of garbage compared to this movie. I think we could probably all agree with that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yet... In some ways, I felt less let down walking out of Solo. It was like... Agreed. Well, that's because you went to Solo expecting a Ron Howard movie. Right, and I and got you went, an okay And you got Ron. a Ron Howard movie. You went to Incredibles 2 expecting a Brad Bird movie. Yeah, and obviously, and, uh, yeah. you know, people have, will have heard me before we went in talking about my expectations. What I realized is that I was not actually articulating my, my expectations before the movie very well. Because when I got out of the movie, I felt disappointed in a way that revealed to me that I actually expected a lot more of this movie than I thought I did. But we'll get more into that. Jake, what, are you, what was your basic take on this this cinematic It was experience? a, generally speaking, a fun, family-friendly movie. It had its funny moments and its artful moments. Did you shed any tears? Uh, there were some emotional moments. Uh, yeah. I think dad yeah. and his daughter, their dad just sort of being at the end of his rope, trying to figure it out, uh, being sweet with his daughter and Violet being sweet back was pretty nice. I thought that was, that was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a touching moment. Well, let's say we head over to our favorite establishment, Dinky's Diner, and discuss this thing in a little bit more detail, huh? All right. All right. All right. All right, gentlemen, here you go. Uh, chocolate milkshake for you, Pastor Mensel. Thanks, Ollie. Hey, you're welcome, and a chocolate milkshake for you, Mr. Alpsy. Hey, I appreciate it, and man, you sure do work at every establishment uh, in San Well, Sanity, Phil, you know, you? a fellow's got to keep busy and save up. Oh, and here's your, here's your hoity-toity parfait, Mr. Q Solster. Oh, Oh wait, you're the you're that other one, aren't you? Oh, I'm sorry about uh, that. That's don't worry about it. I'll get you a chocolate milkshake like the other guys. No, 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 no. I, I like parfaits. They're they're delicious. Just uh, I, I'm Jay Solster. Just Solster. Just Ben is fine. Just don't confuse me with that guy. All right. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's get into this a little bit more. I think we all agree it was basically an okay, yeah, entertaining. Yep. Yeah, it was fun. a fun summer movie. What was the good? Let's let's do it this way this time. What was let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. What was the good? Actually, to capture some decent tension between mom and dad and stuff, that was kind of okay. The good was definitely Mr. Incredible's relationship with uh, Violet. Yeah, that was really sweet. Jack-Jack was... Hilarious. The whole Jack-Jack and Edna thing was cute and fun. The Jack-Jack fighting the raccoon scene was pretty great. Basically, Jack-Jack was great. Jack-Jack was far and away the best thing about the movie. He was hilarious. He was a win. Our audience lit up and started chattering. A lot of kids in there. Yeah. And and you could could just tell. What did the one kid say? When they were building up to, it's me and it's you. What else do we have? And the kid's just too excited. (laughs) Jack-Jack! You know, the whole... <laughs> audience in the theater with us was laughing at the kids. Yeah, the enthusiasm. Jack is the secret excite. weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just dawned on him, and he yeah. was really excited. 
can, he can contain himself. And, yeah. <laughs> and so he should have been because Jack-Jack was awesome. He was a lot of fun. What The Incredibles does the best, combining a relatable family thing, you know, babies, and bringing the super into it and just having a lot of cartoony fun with it. Yeah. So that part was great. I loved it. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you could really, it wasn't just that kid. You could really hear, our, you could audibly hear our whole audience light up anytime Jack-Jack was on the screen. And yeah, then, what's Jack-Jack going to do next? Yeah. You know, was was a really great game to be playing throughout mm-hmm. the course of and if you were a kid there who was maybe bored by some of the more you know, the parts that maybe were more for grown-ups or whatever they kept you still just sort of like what's jack jack gonna do next yeah absolutely. and that was pretty smart mm, the elastigirl motorcycle chase scene was really fun yeah that was cool that was cool was a good action really well scene. done probably the best action scene yep. of the summer i don't think there's anything in the avengers or nah. uh, certainly not in solo that is comes- uh, the train scene in solo is pretty awesome yeah that was my favorite sequence there i think I love Elastigirl just in general. I think she's a wonderfully drawn character. I like the mom hips. I think in the first one and the second one, she's just Holly Hunter's voice, that wonderful design. The whole idea of being a middle-aged mom woman kind of and being flexible, flex, you know, being stretched <laughs> in every direction is a wonderful metaphor. Yeah. I liked her in the first one. She didn't do anything particularly new with her here, but it's just always nice to see Elastigirl. She's a very well-conceived yeah. character, I think. Yep. Anything else good before we move on to the bad? Uh, you got to see a lot more of Frozone, like taking down all the superheroes by himself for a while. That was fun. Eh, I mean, I'm not going to say that's, that doesn't belong in the bad and they're the Racist. ugly, but I wasn't all that excited about <laughs> no, it. No, you weren't. I um, liked it. I liked most of everything to do with Mr. Mom, actually, with the dad staying at home, learning the ropes, being exhausted, seeing how much his wife does that he never thinks, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty standard beats for that kind of thing. It's been done before, but I thought it was cute the way they did it and relatable and fun. And Yeah. Yeah. The bad. I guess we'll get to the bad. What was bad about this movie? It's very little dramatic tension really it felt uh, everything felt smaller scale from the level of tension to the scale of the conflict to even the size the you know the world didn't feel as big as the first incredibles movie there you know there was villainy and and lies and deception and f- giant f- and big fights but it didn't it didn't seem to be as con- consequential yeah that was basically the feeling that i walked out of the theater with it hasn't been very long since we've seen the movie i've been trying to decide whether it's fair or not well it's just really complicated because it's a tall ask. Yeah. Just di- just following up on Incredibles and following up in the context of the massive superhero movie boom since then. Yeah. Being in the way and then the pro-feminism movement within the superhero yeah. movie genre. And so to ask for this family to have... I mean, the the, the credible tension that we want is going to have to be within the family, right? Yeah. Right? Drama within the family? One way or another. Yeah. And you can see how Brad Bird was avoiding pitfall after pitfall of cliched, dumb things that he could have done in terms of Mr. Incredible just being completely unreasonable and having to come around and all sure. that kind of dumb stuff that we've seen in a billion movies that was really refreshing or, that he didn't Or just doing do a straight outright pro-feminist movie. Yeah. But still, I want to argue that this is 14 years later. This is a Pixar movie, which is known for making masterpieces. This is Brad Bird, who's made more masterpieces than he has not masterpieces. I'm not sure that I feel unfair asking more of this movie than it delivered. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, Brad I Bird would have been better just not making this movie if he didn't actually have a good story, and I'm not sure that he did have a good story. Mm-hmm. Again, it was fine. It was fun. Take your kids. I think we'll talk more about whether you should take your kids, but I think basically it's a good family movie. But it's more on the level of, you know, Dream A fine Wars introduction movie. into the Incredibles-verse. Right. Yeah, but it's not... Which is clearly what 
I think that they're they were actually going for it. Yeah, I think maybe they've it. even announced a Frozone movie. I don't remember. I don't know. Well, this, it was a good setup for a Frozone movie. A good setup for yeah. seeing a lot more of the Incredibles. But I don't and, want to see more of the Incredible Universe. I don't care about the Incredible Universe. I care about the Incredibles themselves, and I wanted right. to see a moving, hilarious, awesome Incredibles story. And this wasn't that. I think one thing that made the Incredibles work so well is that they gave you the context of this world with all the superhero history. They, they gave you the idea of all these these plots and schemes and hidden things, and they gave you a lot of different locations. Well, I mean, I guess you got the island and the city, but it, the well, world felt kind of huge. Locations that were able to draw on a lot of nostalgia. Yeah, like you I, were saying, the James Bond nostalgia. Yeah, the island, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's 60s, it's kitschy, right. it's in like Flint, it's James Bond, it's all the things that Austin Powers spoofed, but not doing it as a straight spoof, which is great. The Incredibles was a rich world the first one was a very richly detailed and evocative you know everything from art deco to yeah 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 well i mean so it just felt uh, in this movie it's like they decided to reduce the scope of everything we're not gonna we're not gonna give you like more like real interesting mysteries about superheroes we're not gonna really even give you more like history we're gonna narrow it down and just talk about the Incredibles interactions with one kind of messed up family in one city and some and then add a bunch of kind of second tier superheroes who are right. a little bit visually interesting I guess just to add a little bit more interest but no like really fascinating yeah no stakes no, no, death, no big characters death was in the background real death was in the background of Incredibles oh man one first yeah. Incredibles like and all adding the time. all kinds of tension yeah, you, all never, the you time. never felt like anybody was in any real danger and the thing that made Incredibles great was that it combined an emotional relatable family story with the superheroics in such a way that even as they were doing superheroic stuff, it doubled as a, a familial, spiritual, emotional breakthrough moment. Right. And this one ended with a f- particularly disappointing third act where basically all the emotional tension between the family was already resolved. And the only hmm. question was, are they going to capture the bad guy? Which right. you could argue was smart for right. him to not go back and try to revisit or recreate tension that he'd already solved. Again, he avoided a lot of pitfalls in doing that. It probably maybe it was smart, but if that was the only option left to him, I'd say the really don't smart the thing movie. don't make the movie. Yeah, I don't want to see a movie where there's nothing at stake. And and I, I'm like I I know exactly what you mean because I don't want to see the movie where there's a false conflict between Mr. and Mrs. Incredible, and we have to yeah. spend the whole movie feeling like they're going to divorce or something simply because the screenwriter is making yeah. you so like, like there's tension. Brad Bird's smarter than that, and I'm glad he's smarter than that. But still. The movie is like strangely inert. The yeah. the the whole last act of it, like I said, is is just kind of lame. Especially, I mean, and I know this is kind of unfair, but especially in light of there being a thousand Avenger movies now and X Men movies and everything else, it's just like I don't need to see the Incredibles just to see some cool different heroes bounce off of each other's powers. I want to, I want to see a story about a family, and I want it to be emotionally resonant, and I want mm-hmm. it to remind me of things about my family. And if you can't do that in a way that's powerful then i'm not sure that you really need to make a sequel to the incredibles and kids are gonna like the movie and most people will probably like the movie but i just think and i like the movie. nobody will walk away from that movie disappointed unless they had expectations for ratatouille iron giant or incredibles level awesomeness 
I got to imagine there's a lot of people that did though. I don't, yeah. I, I don't, mm, you, but there are a lot of people. I think uh. what they know is that they really loved the first Incredibles movie. Well, if even I'm saying, even if that's all they've got, this movie doesn't come close to replicating the feeling no. of the first Incredibles. It doesn't. But when you're in the theater uh, for a summer blockbuster that is playing with old characters that you love and you get to see them be awesome again on screen and you get to ha- see them be a happy family and you get to see Jack-Jack be funny and develop in his powers and the table be set for them to grow up, the kids to grow up, other things to happen if they want to make them happen, then you're going to walk away feeling pretty good about things. You, you, you may be describing the average moviegoer accurately. I think I am. I think the average moviegoer should uh, be more mature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Brad Bird's got their number. Or uh, the... the Hypnotize the the screen yeah, the screen slaver the screen slavers got their Didn't number. About, that's they're right. Content for, they're content with uh, mediocrity. Yeah, that, that, was, that gonna, brings up all the oh wonderful man. themes of the movie I, so dexterously. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lays out and addresses one Ben's, by one. Ben's being sarcastic, folks. <laughs> no, here's how you do an Incredibles two, and I'm not. I haven't cracked it. I don't. I, I don't know what to tell Brad Bird to do. But the first thing that you think is, who's the villain? Who's the person that's going to come along that's just going to test? You know, they decided that they're a family and they're going to stick to, you know, they learned all this stuff in the it's first movie. It's a meta commentary, man. He made the screenslaver to show everybody that he that he can make a crappy movie mm-hmm. and <laughs> have enough of the right beats in it that are entertaining and easy for people and people that's will just right. love it. And that he won't have to strive for the level of excellence that he had in Incredibles 1 or Ratatouille. Well, I believe in the yeah. American meta people. commentary. I, I think the, the joke's people, on us. The people deserve yeah, the better, Jake. And right. I think there's, I believe there's people out there that they, they, they know they deserve better. There's not everyone's yeah. a sheep that wants to be put to sleep. Yeah, you know, you're going to pull up, but it's got like <laughs> I'm going to pull up Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you win. <laughs> We're the last bastion it. of <laughs> intellect and Hang on, as emotional I pull, up, uh, pull up Metacritic. 94%. Though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but pull up Metacritic, like like Incredibles one versus Incredible two, because they actually do the weighted score. Here's the thing: it's ninety four percent because every critic had to at least give it three out of four stars, a thumbs up. I doubt if you actually read those reviews that every critic said it was a masterpiece. Probably most of them felt like I did that it was kind of a fun sequel to the first oh, one. But man, it still got an eighty on Metacritic. It got an eighty on Metacritic. That's pretty good. I think what will actually happen over the years is that people won't remember this movie all that well, but they'll continue to love the first one as a classic. It's, I think that's true. It's going yep. to make a lot of money. People are going to I enjoy mean, it. They're going to the, enjoy it. The reality is the first Incredibles movie deserves to be in anybody's top 10, top five, maybe even top three superhero movies. Maybe even top one superhero movie. Yeah, That's how good th- the original Incredibles yes. is. I think so. I, mean, I don't it's know. everything you wanted to see. I mean, I think I movie. answered it as my favorite superhero movie on one of our shows at some point in the past, or one yeah, of us did I, if I didn't. I don't, it wouldn't surprise me, and I, I could see myself on any given day making that answer. Did you, We got, kind of got off track, though. Do you guys agree that the villain was pretty lame in this? Mm-hmm. Yep. The screen slaver. Ooh, social commentary. Well, Thanks, and, Brad Bird. And, and who didn't know that, you know, one of the, one of the brother and sister couple was going to turn out to be a little suspicious and maybe say, not so good. Yeah, I mean, it was nice that Alaska <laughs> okay, girl fine. saved her at the end. Where was the setup where, you know, the sister proved that her concern for human life, you know, you could set it up in such a way that Alaska girl saving her is a choice that has dramatic weight. And instead, like yeah. everything in this movie, it was just kind of, it worked, it made sense, it had a certain weight, but it didn't have as much weight as you thought it should for an Incredibles movie, or as I, I thought it should. Oh, the li- there was the line about the politicians. Politicians don't they don't believe in people who 
who do good because they believe it's the right thing to do. So right. find you deeply untrustworthy. <laughs> yeah, there there were a lot of jabs like that, and most th- most of it just trailed off. Even the screenslavers, you know, meta social commentary that just trailed off. It was like, where is this really a theme in the movie? Well, it's more like the screenslavers theme that we're not really going to bring back up. And yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just an- everything it did, everything the movie did thematically, it did kind of half-heartedly. So I don't know. It was it was a fun movie. Oh, Mr. Robinson. Uh, hey, yeah. uh, this, here you oh, go. Yeah. Is this the deathmatch timer you wanted? Oh, my deathmatch timer. Right. That's right. We forgot to do death. Thank you, Ollie. Anytime. Uh, for, we forgot to do deathmatches last time for Solo, guys. But a beloved segment of Sanity at the Movies is, of course, the Sanity Deathmatches. Basically, we are going to do, once again, rounds of Jake versus Ben, Ben versus Nathan, Ben versus Jake, any combination thereof. It'll be one of us versus another of us. We will each have a, a minute to make an argument. I will assign the topics. I will assign the point of view and i will be the judge even though i'll be participating life's not fair (laughs) it's not fair and you're just doing it arbitrarily huh i'm doing it completely arbitrarily ben i'm going to have you argue that the character of avoid is superior to the character of reflex well (laughs) that's good jake i'm gonna have you argue that the character of reflex is ah. superior to the character <laughs> of Void. All right. So, Ben, I'm Should going be to easy. Got my deathmatch timer from yeah, Ollie here. I think. I'm going to start the clock for Ben. Once again, he's arguing for the character of Void. And right on. on your mark, get set, go. Well, first of all, Void actually has like a bunch of dialogue, interactions with Elastigirl, establishes some dramatic stakes because she wants to be like Elastigirl. Elastigirl's her hero. Reflex doesn't say anything except to make some joke about being named Reflex, and then he vomits lava or something anyway void also has a really cool power and i don't care that we've seen it before in like x-men days of future past with the blink character or even dr strange's little glowy you know dimensional traveling what's cool is that when you put anyone who can do that kind of stuff in a movie you get all kinds of action scene opportunities and they took advantage of it so void void actually matters some as a character unlike reflux and her power is just cooler it's more fun you get to see people pop through portals and you get a fight scene that's cool between her and the invisible girl and that's better than vomiting lava. Sorry, <laughs> just is. Ben, you did it with seven seconds to spare. My. My compliments. Jake, you got the rebuttal here on your mark. Get set, go. Uh, first of all, uh, it's totally lame, her, her power, that it's a ripoff of Doctor Strange and the X-Men and it allowed them to basically rip off the action scenes from Infinity War and recycle them multiple times in the movie. That's very lame. Here's what I like about Ref- Reflex. <laughs> Reflex is, is it, you, don't, you don't often see uh, superhero characters that are fat and old, and... <laughs> I gave you an impossible thing to argue for. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, he he's not a young pretty thing. He's not a you know he's not well built. He's an old guy. He's got a belly on him, and he's got a power that he wants to use for good. And that's interesting. And interesting in a way that recycling an old school, overused, especially this blockbuster season, overused superpower is just lame. So reflex, man, Time. all the way. Ben, do you want to make a quick rebuttal? Do you want to make a one-sentence rebuttal before <laughs> I make my judgment? Well, I just want to say that really Void is pretty lame because she's just a boring stand-in for alt-girls with no actual character conflict. Plus, at least Reflex is it's like silly and bizarre. So. so that was a rebuttal to yourself. Oh, crud. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, 
<laughs> you both lose then because Void is great. <laughs> She's way better than Reflex. I'm ruling for Void here. <laughs> Does anybody want to add anything to the Void versus Not Reflex? Really. No. <laughs> Reflex, I thought most of those characters were pretty lame and they, they just reminded lame. me of things that Mystery Men has done better, that a lot of things yeah, have I done better. Yeah, I about Mystery Men. I was calling him the spleen. The for... spleen, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the spleen is a lot funnier if one of them is funny. Well, man, that is a sad statement <laughs> to make, but <laughs> you heard it here, folks. The spleen is a lot, and I quote, funnier. All right, I'm going to argue against the character of Edna. I'm assigning that to myself. I'm going to let Ben argue for the character of Edna. So I will go first here. So just like Edna's a terrible character versus Edna's an awesome or great or yeah. helpful or whatever. Which Edna, if you don't know, is the little, uh, she looks like Edith Head. She's Edna voiced, mode. Yeah, she's she voiced by Brad Bird. She's got the page boy haircut and a cigarette that's never lit because it's a family movie and you can't do that anymore. But obviously she would have a cigarette, so she does. All right, and Nathan, go. Edna is an incredibly lame character, pun fully intended. Uh, she is based on a stereotype of a costume designer from the 1940s and 50s that no kid and most adults wouldn't get. She's kind of a flamboyant, obnoxious woman character. I wouldn't like her in real life. I don't like it, her at all in the first movie where she's just reciting tropes and telling you all the things that Brad Bird, all the cute thoughts that Brad Bird and his friends have had about the superhero movie, and she's just nakedly sort of kind of working it in. She's just like, don't use capes, darling. I don't like the accent. I don't like the voice that Brad Bird does. I find her whole character to be a pretty obnoxious plot device. I don't understand why people think she's cute and adorable, and I think people that think that are just wrong. I think Edna's really, and she she didn't bring anything to this movie except for a feminist kind of anti-woman, anti-baby sort of babies are dumb point of view. And I ran out of time. All right. All right, Ben, you ready for this? Ready. All right. And on your mark, get set. I think you've got your work cut out for you. Uh, <laughs> Go. Well, first of all, I don't think anyone really cares whether or not they know that Edna Mode is based on this fashion designer from the 40s. If they think she's funny, they think she's funny. And like most people, I think she's funny. She's just a bizarre little character in the world. Every And I I think that uh, adding, adding a superhero fashion designer just makes the Incredibles verse more enjoyable she's she's silly she makes really cool suits so she actually serves a useful purpose because their suits are all tailored to their abilities and i always thought that scene was one of the best i don't know in the early incredibles um i never minded her accent it's just so weird and out there that it makes you laugh um in this movie she gets a charming scene with jack jack and that was funny too and and she also serves the dramatic purpose of you know giving him a suit and a suit locator um, that is used in a bunch of the action scenes. So she so she furthers the plot, adds to the action Time. scenes. <sighs> I won't offer any rebuttal, I don't think. She actually was pretty charming in this movie. I'll rule in your favor. Next, uh, let's do this. Ooh, this will be fun. Ben, I want you to argue that the movie is feminist. Uh-oh. And Jake, in classic devil's advocate Ruh-roh. fashion. Or maybe Ben's the devil. Maybe the movie's in fact not feminist. I won't tip my hand. Uh, Jake, you can argue that the movie is not feminist. Right on. All right. Uh, ben, I guess you get to I'll, go first. I'll, what's that? I just decided that Ben goes first. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, Ben obviously goes first. All right, Ben, go. Well, the movie is definitely feminist because it doesn't have anything to say in support of the man actually leading the family. It just takes it for granted that at times the man shouldn't lead. He should put his wife out in front. 
And it never answers that. It acts like it's going to discuss, you know, gender roles and wife and husband. But all it really has to say about things is the unity of the family. And whenever you put the issue out there on the table like that and you say, whoa, hey, look, we're going to reverse roles. Um, the, the husband's not going to provide and protect. The wife is going to do that. She's going to be out in front. And then you don't answer the question. Then you've just answered the question. And the answer is, of course, women should be out front. Even though the, the boring villainess also agrees that women should be out front in some sense, it doesn't matter because Elastigirl gets all the best action sequences and does all the cool stuff and Mr. Incredible doesn't. This movie focuses on her and it's, it's, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to say. The movie doesn't have anything to say about it, which means it's saying, sure, women Time. should be in battle. All right, Jake, you think you can take that? Yeah, I think so. And one, two, three, go. First of all, Mr. Incredible does not put his wife out in front. It was a it was a decision that was foisted on him of necessity. He doesn't like it. He's uncomfortable with it. He's never quite comfortable with it throughout the whole movie. She is sort of on the one hand thrilled by it. On the other hand, she's not comfortable with uh, giving up the the household, the domestic duties to her husband, and she doesn't think that he can do as good a job as she can at home. Just like he knows that she can't do as good a job out there. And so they play with that tension throughout the movie. And what's the net result? Well, Elastigirl ends up getting captured and ends up being used uh, and and turned into a tool by the enemy. And the Mr. Incredible has to go and try to rescue her, but she's too, in too deep. And she uses his vulnerability to her to to prevent him from uh, from saving her. And so what you have is this sort of when when the the uh, patriarchy time is are you serious when it's upset when it's flipped upside oh, no. down i'm gonna uh-huh. keep going oh no bad <laughs> things happen and when the family is restored to order uh, it, that's the necessary chemistry for saving the day and that's what happens in the end families restored to order dad's in the car driving all right ben i'm gonna give you a rebuttal and then jake i'll give you a rebuttal to the rebuttal all right how much time do i get you oh you want time you get 30 seconds 30 seconds. And go. Well, the basic rebuttal is that the question is still put out and left unanswered. It doesn't matter if the family in some sense is restored to order. The pattern is clear. Women can and should, at least at times, be out in front, no matter why. (laughs) The fact is, no matter how uncomfortable we are with it, and we are because God made us one thing and we do another, there she is. She's out in front fighting. Her daughter wants wants the same thing. Void wants the same thing, and they're all going to get it. And it's going to be a world where women superheroes are... Time! Jake, the rebuttal to the rebuttal. Go! Well, you know, there are not a lot of movies out there that even acknowledge the tension and acknowledge that that tension is real. So that's, I think, a point in the movie's favor. It's not in your face the way The Last Jedi was about its feminism. I think, you know, at the end of the day, Dad's a sympathetic character. Dad wants to lead. Dad wants to be the one who takes the bullet. Dad's the one, like in the first movie, who can't afford to lose his family. It's why he's got to be the one out in front. He he knows that. He feels that. She feels that she ought to be at home. And Time. that's at least something. All right. How should I rule? Jake, you make some compelling arguments and surprisingly compelling. And I think that Brad Bird probably, in fact, I saw an interview with him where he said, it's not feminist. It's just about the way things are. I think that's about Brad Bird sees it. Brad Bird also says, I said in the same interview, I accept that women are strong. And so 
that's going to come through in my movie, but I wasn't trying to make a political statement about it. However, I would argue that the movie does take for granted the fact that it doesn't really matter who's out there winning the bread. And it kind of plays with the idea that Mr. Incredible Ken is uncomfortable with that, but it's just kind of like, it's complicated, but basically, you know, the movie doesn't have a problem with Mrs. Incredible taking responsibility for the family. I don't think. Would you be willing to concede that Jake now that we're off the Yeah, I think that that's... I was really trying to own my point of view there for a minute, though, so it took me a second to... to Yeah, that was good. What what you said in the rebuttal was good. So, okay, well, let's go through Jake's rebuttal here. Jake says, or Jake's Jake's basic point is that the movie is a little bit more complicated than just straight feminist garbage like The Last Jedi. Definitely granted that that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think that where I would have liked to have gotten or where I, I think my instinct was driving was in the direction... Well, we've talked about this sort of thing before, which is that patriarchy is in some sense inevitable. Mm-hmm. So even in the most egalitarian, you know, they do the studies and even in the most egalitarian homes, responsibilities still end up being divided pretty much along traditional lines. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of thing ends up happening. And what, what Bird does do is sort of capture that. Mr. Incredible is strong. That's his superpower. Mr. Incredible wants to be out in front and he feels bad and guilty and frustrated and impotent. Mm-hmm. when he can't do that. And he's got all these external constraints that make that difficult. And this desire to create a world where he's free to be who he was made to be. And that seems to involve allowing his wife to go to the front lines. He's not happy about it. He's not comfortable with it. But then two things happen that negate that. Uh, he well, Number one, he becomes much more comfortable with the idea of being a stay-at-home dad and he gets to be pretty yeah. good at it, which is fair and cute and, you know... It, true to life that 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 you know but also is making a particular point in the context of the story they're telling and number two he sends her to get the bad guy at the end and it's kind of the culmination of that whole plot line go get her honey you know mm-hmm. he's not gonna go get the bad guy she is because and he's gonna be the one who tries to save everybody both on the ship and in the city while she goes after the bad guy which is a, a gender swap and an intentional one yeah the, wo- right. the woman's gonna take retaliation and the I'm one gonna- the one place where i think if you want to make the strongest argument for the movie being pro-feminist this is going to sound weird maybe to people i know exactly what you're going to say it's the closing scene of the film the the bad guys go racing by as they pull up to the movie theater and violet pushes tom or whatever his name is tony tony pushes tony out hands him the money says go inside i'll come uh uh, i'll be back yeah yeah, by uh the previews hops in the car and she's going to go be a superhero for a minute with her family while her boyfriend is going to yeah, I thought yeah. that was really a bad scene for a number of reasons. Like, it, A, it felt feministy. B, it just felt like a bad culmination for her character. Here's the whole it thing. It felt like a wanted. bad culmination for all of the characters. Right. Yeah. Dad should have said, honey, we got this. You go see a movie with your boy. It's um, okay for you to be a teenage girl. It's okay for you to be a teenage girl who likes this boy or whatever. Would have been the, the more natural and fatherly more progression. And more emotional. Yeah. Instead, it's Violet choosing her identity as a super over just being a, a normal teenage girl. There's a way that maybe they could have done that was a, that it, that was emotionally resonant, but it was just sort of like boys in real life play second fiddle to my ambition to be an awesome superhero yeah. and I'm all I'm I've renounced my renunciation and I'm all 
yeah. all in. And just yeah. the image of her, like she shoves the boy aside, she throws him some money. It's like, eh, and he just he just accepts it. Oh yeah, that's that's totally fine. Yeah, like I'm sorry, but if I was that boy, I'd feel completely emasculated, and that would be our first and last uh, date together, I think. And and maybe I wouldn't be all patriarchal about it. I'd just be like, yeah, honey, you probably need a super. You know, I'm obviously not good enough for you. All right, well, now that we've covered the movie's feminism, let's let's get to the most important issue, which is who's better, who's cooler, who's more adorable. Jack Jack or Baby Groot from right. Guardians uh, of the Galaxy all 2. Right. Now, Jake, I'm going to have you argue for Jack Jack, Jack Jack Jake, okay. and I'm going to go ahead and argue for Baby Groot. So, Jake, I will hmm. let you this have can be the fair. privilege of going first. I know that's what you want. Uh-oh. So, I will give you your 60 seconds. I don't even know what I think about this. Okay. Starting now. Well, okay. So, Jack Jack uh, has amazing cool powers, and he is sweet and funny, and he is absolutely. He wants to be like his dad and like his 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 family. He he sees on TV the bad guys. He sees the raccoon. He goes out and he fights and he beats up that raccoon, which is something that Groot could never bring himself to do. He probably needed to do at some point, and. <laughs> and he goes and he has an awesome fight with a raccoon and he has all of these awesome powers and he's cute and he's funny and uh, everybody in the theater loves him and kids can love and want and enjoy Jack-Jack because they can go and see Incredibles 2 and uh, not so much Guardians of the Galaxy. Can't see and enjoy Groot, baby Groot. So there, that's the uh, best time. I got. Pow. Pow. All right, here I go with the rebuttal. Uh, Baby Groot's just cuter. I mean, just empirically, Baby Groot has these big, adorable eyes. And yes, Baby Groot, that's what I'm arguing for. Baby Groot uh, is just an, a more adorably adorable piece of design. Maybe would make a better plush doll. Baby Jack has that kind of weird tooth and the hair, and he's kind of pudgy, and I don't know. Um, Baby Groot is funny in ways that he, he, he like he kills that guy he knocks him over the balcony just exactly like a baby would kill that guy <laughs> and knock him over uh, rips off that guy's thumb or like, toe. chops off that guy's thumb <laughs> it's hilarious it's sardonic <laughs> and uh people like baby Groot because he's cute and awesome and funny and he has that scene where he dances to ELO and it, baby Jack Jack never dances to any music so baby Groot baby Groot baby Groot oh I'm out of time <laughs> maybe Jack Jack wins I guess um, <laughs> yeah Jack Jack fights the raccoon he doesn't rip off anybody's appendages he, yep. uh, I did think he was gonna like immolate the raccoon at one point but he didn't yeah I felt a little bad too. for the raccoon alright this is one, maybe the most important one that people have been waiting for Jake I'm gonna have you argue that this movie is good for kids Ben I'm gonna have you argue that this movie is bad for kids and this will be good because you can represent the side points of view of whether people should actually take their kids to see this movie Whoa. So let's take this one as seriously guys Jake argue for good for kids starting now it is funny it's got some cute moments. It's got relatable characters. It's got some good versus evil, uh, good wins. Families are awesome. Moms are good. Dads are good. Moms are, and dads are best when they're working together. Mom, kids are best when they're helping mom and dad, not fighting against them. Uh, kids are best when they are able to have the humility to see their parents trying and uh, and can set aside their own selfish desires and acknowledge how great their parents are for trying and want to be helpful. Um, any of the... 
bad philosophical grammar is going to sail out over most kids' heads. And so uh, take your kids to see the movie. They'll enjoy it. No problem. Yeah. All right. That's, I don't know. Ben, I think you might have your work cut out for you. Yeah, I might. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. It's The movie doesn't really have anything all that bad about it, and it's pretty entertaining. All right, Ben. One, two, three, go. Well, I don't know if kids really need another, like, kind of honestly mediocre kids movie where the kids never really get told no by anyone with any authority. I mean, they kind of get told no, and then they just do whatever they want anyway. And maybe that's every kid's movie ever. Maybe we shouldn't see any kid's movies. Wait, I don't want to go that far. Hold on, let me pull back. Um, anyway, that's what happens in this kid's movie. Oh, Dash, stop pressing that remote. Oh, no, he, he keeps pressing the remote. Oh, no, he broke all the sofas. Oh, ho, ho, it's funny. Oh, Jack-Jack, look, we, I can't ever tell you no or get you to stop doing anything I don't want you to do, so I'll just bribe you with cookies through the whole movie. Even though I acknowledge that's bad, but it's kind of funny and we can all laugh that... I can't control my kids at all, but I can, like, kind of be sweet to them, and I can connive and control them and sometimes deceive or outwit them, and that's how I control my family. And then I'm going to let my wife go out. And, I mean, it's just kind of like, I don't know, do you need another movie like this? Do your kids need another movie like this? Can't they watch the first Incredibles again? Time. Uh, I think you guys both make some pretty good points, actually. Jake, you want to rebut? Sure. And go. So families are messy, and... I think getting comedy out of a kid that, I mean, he's in another dimension and he doesn't know what are you going to do. Uh, I think those are really weak points that you're trying to make as far as that goes. Um, the fact is the movie's not about how the kids need to be disciplined. It's about how the family needs to come together again and be united. And we've got drama and everybody feels helpless and, and frustrated in their own way. Time. And that's a normal thing. Ben, you get 15 seconds. All right. Now I'll give you 30. Uh, go. It's funny how in uh, yeah Hollywood movies, you know, um, the idea of broken families is always that the family needs to come back together. And you know what? It's never through discipline or the dad saying, no, that's really interesting. Because it seems like in all the real families I know where I would respect the way that the kids are raised and I would say, man, I want to be like that. Actually, the way the family, actually what brings unity is discipline. And Hollywood movies are all about how discipline, discipline's not even like a category except as something where the dad screws up. Can I just point out, for the record, Your Honor, Mm. that Ben's whole case is that it's not a good kids movie unless there are spankings. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a movie. That's a fair representation of my point of view. (laughs) That is the point that you latched onto and argued. (laughs) This movie had ended with. Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack getting spanked, then we'd be okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it man. It would have been a great movie. Maybe Incredibles 3. Maybe Incredibles 3. <laughs> Incredibles 3, when, the when, spanking. <laughs> one can only dream. One can only dream. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Ben, uh, Jake, makes a f- Jake basically wins because it's a good family movie, I think. But people should be aware that Ben's absolutely right, actually. I mean, like, the whole movie, we're just so inoculated into this stuff because we watch movies, like Ben says, where we see this kind of stuff all the time and we don't care. But it is dumb that, right? Yeah, we've accepted the fact that to entertain our kids, we have to show them movies that invert the way the family is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Undercut the way that God made the world, especially when it comes to sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that's really stupid. And this movie has a lot of that with sex and a lot of that with authority. And, you know, I mean, Jack yeah. Jack's just not going to listen to his dad. Or not Jack Jack as much, but. Well, Dash. Jack too. Jack Dash. Jack too. But, you, you know. Dash and Violet. I, it's it lo- very relatable. A baby sure. that won't 
I get it. It's just uh, kind of boring. I mean, I just felt yeah. I, I felt bored by that. I'm like, yeah, I've seen this kind of comedy before. Sometimes it's charming. It was more charming in the first Incredibles. Well, and I think it sticks out more with somebody like Dash and Violet. Like they're never gonna you 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 just accept you already know before the plot point even happens that if their parents tell them to do you know not to come along or to stay in place or to do anything, right? They're not gonna do it. They've probably been reading Harry Potter. I mean, <laughs> it's entirely possible. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. No. In the, at least in the first Incredibles, they get in some real trouble because of that. Like right. there's real danger. Yeah, you have right. moments where the parents are, yeah. in some sense, disciplining them. Maybe not like we'd want to see or it. Or they're being disciplined by providence, by, by yeah, the consequences yeah. of, of their yeah. disobedience. Yeah, that yeah. was just that's another not way. That's true, true in this one yeah. at all. No. That was a, and that's another way in which this movie just feels kind of weightless. Like there's not a lot. Of, again, it's a narrative problem as much as it is a spiritual or moral one. There's just not a lot of weight to what happens in this movie. Yeah. Which is basically my thought about the movie. It's a lot of fun. Your kids will probably love Jack Jack and you probably won't be bored by it. It's witty and well done as you'd expect a Brad Murphy Bird movie to be. But it doesn't have a lot of stakes. It doesn't have a lot of weight. And ultimately it probably shouldn't have been made. That That's, that's my <laughs> point of view on the matter. And I can hold both things i mean i can genuinely say it was a very enjoyable movie and also not one that needs to exist and you feel it struggling against its own mm-hmm. yep. uselessness yeah, pointlessness yeah. hey yeah how about that pixar short beforehand i really liked that maybe cry i cried man yeah i was <laughs> at first i thought i mean i'm an idiot but i just thought what is going on this is really perverse and then i'm like oh yeah i'm dumb yeah, that was great. I mean, nice. th- that movie did that movie did way more storytelling in in what three minutes, five minutes. And it was a wonderful picture of did. family dr- uh, drama, sexual normalcy. Yeah, about yeah. it was about like the it was about really just the sins of mothers and sons. I mean, yeah. it was, yep, it was great. You know, it was a silent film. Yeah, right. Used imagery to full effect, like all of those shorts. I'm going to say it was much better than whichever one had the, I love you and you love me. Oh, I hate that so much. (laughs) I really didn't like that one. man. But yeah, that one was great. Well, guys, it's been an enjoyable evening at the movies. Yeah, it has. Indeed. Hey, uh, you guys, I got I to gotta run to my work at Hrothgar's Hall, but I, I, I need to go ahead and close out your tab. That's just how we do it here. I'm not trying to kick you out or anything, but uh, can, I, can I get you anything else before I go? No, that's fine. I think we're, I think we're good. Uh, yeah, I'm all yeah, good. I, I, that was enough uh, parfait for me. For me. Say, Ollie, have you seen, uh, did, you see, did you get a chance to see Incredibles yet? Yeah, not the, not the new one, Mr. Alberson. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I tr- I tried not to listen too closely to what you guys were. You guys sound like you're pretty. Are you guys like movie snobs or something? Anyway, uh, I'm sure you had some interesting thoughts, but I, I don't like to hear spoilers, you know. So uh, actually, my favorite superhero movie. Oh man, I just watched it again last night. The Amazing Spider-Man Two. It's so good. <laughs> Sound of Sanity Today was engineered by Benjamin Sulzer, produced by me, Nathan Alberson, executive produced as are all fine Warhorn products by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alberson. Until next time, folks, stay super.